This is the Accidental Safety Pro brought to you by HSI. This episode was recorded August 12th, 2021. My name is Jill James, HSI's Chief Safety Officer. And today I'm joined by Jessica Tolliver, Director of the Technical Assistance Division at the Police Executive Research Forum. The Police Executive Research Forum, or PERF as it's known, is an independent research organization that focuses on critical issues in policing. Since its founding in 1976, PERF has identified best practices on fundamental issues such as reducing police use of force, developing community policing and problem-oriented policing, using technologies to deliver police services to the community, and evaluating crime reduction strategies. PERF strives to advance professionalism in policing and to improve the delivery of police services through the exercise of strong national leadership, public debate of police and criminal justice issues, and research and policy development. Jessica is joining us today from the District of Columbia, where the cicada are doing what they do every 10 years. It's 10 years, right, Jessica? Well, this brood was every 17 years, 17, thankfully. 17 years. That's right. I'm sorry. This what was particular I thinking? Brood. 17 years. Well, welcome to the show, Jessica. I hope you don't have any cicada with you right now. Thank you. Not at the moment. <laughs> at least I don't think so. Excellent. Excellent. Well, um, really curious about your work, um, particularly your title as Technical Assistance Director at perf what and i probably need to keep saying this again because who can catch on to this right perf stands for police executive research forum so you're the you're you're the technical assistance director what does that mean so perf is a small nonprofit in washington dc and Mm -hmm. you know we're sometimes referred to as a, a think tank we have a few different divisions in perf and technical assistance means that i research issues and then provide hands-on assistance to agencies that need technical assistance quote um to address these challenges and you know identify practices lessons learned that will help them perform better so i mean my team small small team because we are a small organization um Mm -hmm. usually has a workload of about eight different projects we're working on at one time, and they range from improving homicide investigations to assessing officer safety and wellness, um, programming at different agencies, uh, improving immigration outreach, or implementing new policies for technologies like facial recognition, drones, body-worn cameras. Like, uh, we, we do a lot of emerging issues research and application. Mm, fascinating. And so does your does your team or do you work with people directly in the field or is it a kind of a mixture of both and how, how you engage with, um, would you call them your clients? <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, so we're, we're also a membership organization. We have about okay. 3,500 members. And okay. um, so the way it works is my projects are funded by the Department of Justice mostly. Um, Mm. 
different components, the COPS office, the Bureau of Justice Assistance, the National Institute of Justice. Um, we've had grants from the FBI, DHS. And so there is like a scope of work that we need to do. And we'll say we have funding to help agencies like for homicide investigations, for example. We have funding for agencies that are experiencing an increasing homicide rate and a decreasing clearance rate. If you want our assistance with addressing this issue and improving your homicide investigations, please send us an application. And so we'll we'll post that on our website, um, social media. We'll send it out to, we have uh, Perf Daily Clips that we send to all of our members. And those are usually shared widely within an agency. If the chief is a member, he'll then forward it to everybody. Um, but then we'll have applications and then we choose which agencies qualify for our assistance. Mm -hmm. um, we do the same for our officer safety and wellness projects. And then for other projects we'll have um, for like body worn cameras, when we were developing policy recommendations, we'll do uh, an informal survey of our members and we'll find out who has the technology and what they're doing with it. And then that way we identify the best practices. Um, then we do, re we identify like academic research on the issue and we'll find out what we should be looking for when we're interviewing these agencies. Then we'll bring together a group of like 250 chief executives, stakeholders, researchers in a room and really hash out what the policy should be. And we talk through what's working, what doesn't work. Um, and then we'll, we'll draft a publication and um, release that to the members, put it on our website and, and agencies can just pick that up and use it. And then if we get additional follow-up funding, we can actually go into the agency and help them, you know, implement the policies we recommend. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sounds like important work. And I'm curious to know, how is it that you came to do this work? And, and I, and I want to, I want to dig back later, but I'm curious to hear how you did this work, but I'm really interested in the officer safety and wellness piece as well. But, um, yeah, if, if you wouldn't mind, um, all of our guests take time to talk about their, their career path or their life path that led them, um, to the work that they're doing at the present moment. So I'm curious, Jessica, how is it that you came into this work and where did it all start? What sort of seed <laughs> was planted and grew in you to lead you this way? Sure. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a winding road. I, uh, I'll have to take you back to, uh, the 1990s <laughs> when I was, okay. uh, applying for colleges. And, um, at that point in time, I knew I wanted to affect change. Like I just wanted to have a positive impact in the world. And, mm -hmm. um, I loved to write. So I was gonna, uh, get a journalism degree. I was mm. looking at schools that had a, a good journalism program and, uh, I went to university of Richmond. Mm -hmm. and chose journalism as my major. And then I, you know, started taking other classes and discovered political science. And mm. I, I thought, okay, maybe in, maybe in addition to some investigative reporting, I can uh, be a lawyer. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I, um, I decided to double major and now I'm doing journalism and political science. And then I picked up a minor in women's studies because why not? And I have, I have the same minor. 
oh neat neat <laughs> so then, I, I would know, have i would have majored but uh you know i needed to get out of college <laughs> would have double I know, majored. Right? Yeah. i was like mm-hmm. two majors and a minor and, yeah. and then yeah. i did internships every summer and semester to kind of yeah. find where my passions lie mm-hmm. um and after doing internships i I was like, you know, I'm really, I'm really passionate about political science, criminal justice. Mm-hmm. And um, I had this fantastic professor and I was telling him, you know, I think I'm going to apply to law schools and go straight to law school. Mm-hmm. And he said, do me a favor, Jess, like before you do this, before you continue down this path, I want you to go work for, um, some law firm, whether it be here in Richmond or DC, I want you to do as much pro bono work as you can so you get exposure to the criminal justice system and uh, then decide what you what you would like to do with your life. So mm. I took his advice. His mm-hmm. name is Dr. Bill Swinford. Um, I'm just going to give him a shout out right mm-hmm. now because we still talk. He is still mm-hmm. in my life. He is a mm-hmm. wonderful human being and I will alert him that I've done this. Um, hooray, but, hooray for excellent mentors. Yes. May we know them. May we be them. And he is a mentor to many. He's just mm-hmm. an all around fantastic human. So um, I went to Washington, D.C. and got a job as a legal assistant at a big law firm in Washington, D.C. and did government contracts and litigation and won pro bono of the year award several years in a row because wow. I took his advice. And uh, and when you do pro bono at one of those large firms, the, the attorneys give you like free reign. They're like, here, look at this and do the research and do it. So you're basically an attorney. Wow. Um, so I did all this and, and I worked a lot of overtime preparing for big litigation cases and all that. And by the end of the second year, I had decided, yeah, this is not this is not what I want to do with my life. Mm. I'm not going to be able to, you know, impact the world uh, being in these golden handcuffs at a a big law firm. And nor will I be able to make a big impact as, you know, my dream as a prosecutor, because I was seeing the system firsthand. And I knew that I would just be frustrated and jaded within the first few years, just seeing Mm -hmm. the cycle over and over. Um, Just the two years that I was down there, I was already upset. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) I had to figure out what I was going to do. Like, what what can I do? Um, So I started researching master's degrees and uh, settled on public policy, hmm. researched the universities that offered the best programs and uh, ended up going to the Ford School of Public Policy at the University of Michigan. Hmm. They have some great like dual um, degrees you can do there, social work and um, health and law firm, you know, law degrees. Hmm. And uh, they did not have criminal justice, though. So I did just a straight public policy master's, but took as many criminal justice focused courses as I could Mm -hmm. and was hoping that would get me in the door at like some sort of big brand or Brookings Institute, some sort of research organization. And Mm -hmm. when I graduated with that degree, it was soon after 9-11. And so Homeland Security was the major issue that everybody was addressing. And that's where all the jobs were. And I ended up taking a position at the National Governors Association in their Homeland Security Division. Interesting. Um, But there, 
it was a you know fantastic organization fantastic work but it was you're working with the homeland security advisors for governors and it was too high like i was i was too far away i couldn't see impact i couldn't see results right right wanted to be more in the weeds and mm-hmm. so um soon after I, I think i was there for less than a year uh i was recruited by a director at the police executive research forum he was a director of the homeland security <laughs> division mm-hmm. which no longer exists at perf but um he recruited me to work there and it was my dream job. I got to work on many different issues. I got to see the impact we were having. I worked hand in hand with the officers on the street and with their executives setting policies and identifying best practices and, you know, improving the field of policing and criminal justice. So um, I knew that that's where I was meant to be. And I was very happy. I was there for three years and and then, you know, I had babies and <laughs> mm-hmm. um, that was they, they're All the things. <laughs> not a very flexible um, work life balance slash policies there. Mm-hmm. So um, I took a consulting job and worked um, as a consultant for Department of Homeland Security. And I was running the National Technical Assistance Program for Fusion Centers, which is you know, state and local law enforcement sitting together with federal law enforcement representatives all in the same places. They could share information and um, establish programs together. Did that for three years and then Perf called and said, would you like to come back here? And so I've been back there for nine years and now we're to present day. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Yes. What a winding, what a winding journey. It was. Yeah. So backing up to what you were talking about in the, you were, you were identifying all these multiple projects that you work on. Yes. Um, with your current, with your current role. And it sounds like you have, um, two favorites that you had identified with me before officer safety and wellness and homicide investigation. And I'm, I'm wondering, um, could you maybe dig into both of those? And because our, you know, our audience is, is health and safety professionals um, really want to hear about that officer safety and wellness. And what does that, what does that mean? And how, how do you do what you do? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I will tell you that those are my two favorites because a, you see the biggest impact and immediate impact um, from the results of the assessment. Um, Both of those are very hands-on. You go into the agency that is requesting assistance and you look at all of their policies and you identify where there are gaps and where there's opportunities for improvement. Um, And so that's step, was that step one? Yes. And the, and the, and the, the goal. So you start out with an, with an agency. Do you know what your goal is at the outset? Yes. Okay. So yeah. So what is, is the goal established by you or is the goal established by the, by the agency you're working with? So it's usually established in, you know, the project grant scope of work. You will, okay. you know, assess at least five to 10 agencies and you will assist them with implementing the recommendations to improve their homicide investigations or to improve their officer safety and wellness programming. Um, so it's, it's a multi-step approach. You know, we have the, the ability to request 
our assistance, then we mm -hmm. choose the agency, mm -hmm. then we request their policies so we can review those and identify, you know, the gaps and opportunities. And then we go on site and we conduct interviews with the folks who work there because something can be written but not actually followed and there yeah. can be things that are being done that are not written so you know it's good to get in there and actually get a lay of the land and and see how people are communicating with each other how much the rules are followed how much the policies are followed um, if policies need to be updated Mm -hmm, people mm -hmm. need to be trained on them you know mm -hmm. they may that's, they may be there but nobody's even aware of them <laughs> yeah i mean that's very familiar to the listeners of this podcast any health and safety <laughs> practitioner knows that there's there can be lots of things written or like you said unwritten that are not being followed for mm. various reasons or hey we just needed to have this policy and it's sitting in the proverbial three ring binder collecting dust exactly yeah exactly okay. mm -hmm. yep Hmm. So then we, you know, we take all of that um, and we put together a report, a findings and recommendations report. Here's the topic. Here's what we identified. And here's what you need to do to get up to the standard of best practices. Um, and then, you know, we create some sort of matrix with a timeline and recommended steps for each, you know, goal and all that. So, mm -hmm. and yeah. how are the best practices established or who establishes them or does it depend on the agency you're working with? Yeah. So we usually put together a team. Um, I will go on site with another perf team member, but also subject matter experts. And those are practitioners who have, you know, done this sort of work before. They're usually retired chiefs or um, homicide commanders, then researchers. And, you know, these academic researchers have spent years studying homicide investigations and they've identified, okay, you're most successful if you spent, if you are only assigned three or four homicides to investigate per year because mm -hmm. otherwise, you know, they find you're not focused enough, you're spread too thin, so then things fall through the cracks. Mm -hmm. um, you need to have certain um, tools like crime analysis. If you don't have crime analysis and you're just doing the door-to-door um, -door knocking witness uh, interviews and things of that nature, then, you know, you're missing out on a bunch of potential clues that can lead you to the perpetrator. Um, mm -hmm. so we have like, we have a list of things that we're looking for to see if they have those policies and technologies and tools in place. And, um, it's a kind of like a comparison checklist. Sure. What's your, what's your favorite part of that work? Is it is it mining through the policies? Is it, is it the interviews and talking with the people who do the work? What is your favorite part? I mean, it is all of the above for, hmm. I mean, for different reasons. So for the homicide investigations project, we talked to everybody from the 911 call taker all the way to the ME's office. So uh, and I, ME for people who don't live in that land. 
the uh, medical, sorry, medical examiner's okay. office. Okay. So mm-hmm. sorry. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> um, so, I mean, you're getting the, you're learning the expertise of each of these team members and you're getting the viewpoint from different stages of the investigation. And it's just fascinating to me to talk to people what their job is and how they do things. Mm-hmm. Um, for officer safety and wellness, for those projects, it is very it's more taxing to do these interviews, but also more rewarding because we're personally speaking with people and we're saying, look, you know, what are your struggles and what would help you? And, and what would get you to talk to a peer counselor? What would get you to talk to you, talk to a chaplain? Um, And as we're doing these things and trying to figure out what sort of programs will help the personnel at a particular agency, they'll often start opening up to us about the challenges that they're having. And some of them are very personal. Some of them are work-related, but a lot are, you know, a byproduct of the stress that they endure through their jobs. And it's affecting their personal relationships and home lives. And um, it's Mm -hmm. just, um, it's, it's very rewarding to know that my work is going to help them cope better and and do their job better and improve their relationships mm-hmm. ideally <laughs> mm-hmm. um jessica could you talk with us more about officer safety and wellness and like how you define that and what that means and in the context of that work what does the safety part entail what does the wellness part entail Okay. Yeah, no problem. So um, a comprehensive safety and wellness program will address what is typically referred to as the components of the three-legged stool, which is physical, emotional, and spiritual. So for the physical part, you know, you're looking at dealing with high blood pressure, um, people who sit in cars all day, so they get back pain and um, some, you know, become obese. So you need to address those physical factors. And then for safety, you want to make sure that your officers are wearing bulletproof vests and seat belts. And you would think that this is, I mean, normal and everybody does this, but they do not for a number of reasons. Um, Mm -hmm. We we've had actually several meetings about this between union reps and police executives about this particular safety issue. Um, Mm -hmm. Bulletproof vests are very heavy and hot and uncomfortable to sit in. And if you are walking around doing community policing or you're getting in and out of your car, it's very restrictive and hot. Um, So, you know, there's a lot of people who don't want to wear them. And there's a lot of unions that will say, look, you need to buy us better vests if you want us to wear them all the time. And it's very valid points. Um, Mm -hmm. Seatbelts, they're... um, there are some people who say, you know, if I need to get, jump out of the car, I can't have my seatbelt holding me back. What if I get stuck on it? Mm-hmm. There, you know, um, <laughs> the people who are who are traditional safety and health practitioners are like, oh my gosh, we talk about this all the time. And like this is like a tired old um, adage, almost, you know, like with the forklift operators and seatbelts and and um, truck drivers. And interesting to hear that it, it's not exclusive to certain types of industries. Yes, please go on. <laughs> well, 
know that is super interesting. Like I want to hear more. Why, you know, why do truckers not want to wear seatbelts? Because they're not hopping in and out chasing a suspect. So what is their reason? Yeah, I mean, that that those would be things that I think were been addressed, you know, so many years ago. Like when I started in health and safety 27 years ago, the first project I worked on was seatbelts. How fascinating. Isn't that funny? And yes. that was working with the that was working with the Department of Transportation. So Interesting. You know, people who are doing road work and things. So really an emphasis, a really an emphasis at that time on that. Um, I'm not, you know, here to say that I think there's a problem with seatbelt use in the trucking industry. I can neither confirm nor deny that. <laughs> I just I just know that seatbelt use is something that comes up and it comes up, you know, whether whether it's, you know, regardless of uh, apparently regardless of occupation yeah. and and type of vehicle, too. You know, so um, trucks versus, you know, police cruisers or whatever they are referred to these days or a forklift so interesting okay Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. um so yes so please go on yeah you were talking about safety are there other items so you know the physical the the safety part of the physical then the mental and emotional is you know you want the um agency personnel to overcome the stigma of asking for help. And so this part of this comprehensive safety and wellness programming is marketing. Like you need to market the resources that are available to the agency personnel and really sell it to them. Why should Mm -hmm. they take advantage of these tools? Um, One of the things I've seen, um, there are... several different conferences on officer safety and wellness that I've been to. There are, there's a yearly meeting that cops and BJA um, cops, I'm sorry, is the community oriented policing services. I always Mm -hmm. get it. Our office of community oriented policing services Um, and BJA is Bureau of justice assistance. Um, So thank you. Yes. I, I often forget the, acronyms we, we there are so many acronyms in the work in all of our jobs and health and safety same thing yeah it's like alphabet mm-hmm. soup it um, is. so cops and bga have been putting on this safety and wellness group meeting once a year for the past decade and it's great they have practitioners they have physicians they have psychologists we all come together and we talk about the particular challenges that um the industry is facing this year, um, some great new resources and policies and tools and, and whatnot. But one of the things that struck me, and I wish I could remember which speaker said this or which uh, conference I saw it at, was, you know, you need to think of your brain as any other part of your body. If you, mm-hmm. if you injure your arm, you go to a doctor, you get it looked mm-hmm. at. You, you address the problem so it can heal properly, and that may include physical therapy, taking time off, et cetera. So you need to be trained to think of your brain the same way. Like trauma is injury to your brain. It impacts you, so you, you have to get help. Um, and so part of offering a suite of tools and resources is allowing the individual to decide, you know, what does that help look like? Maybe it's a it's a peer counselor. Maybe it's um, an EAP counselor, the um, employee assistance but, program mm-hmm. counselor, or mm-hmm. a police chaplain, which are non-denominational, but 
usually have seats in um, the precincts or headquarters and private places for you to speak with them, or they'll do ride-alongs so that you can have a confidential conversation with them with nobody listening to you. But, you know, they're a resource for you to confide in and get assistance, get advice, whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. Or you can use your insurance to go to a a psychologist of your choosing. But the, the point is, is that you're using resources that are available to you and addressing whatever is injured. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Interesting. So Jessica, what do you, you know, at this particular moment in time, um, why do you think, <laughs> can you talk about the importance of officer safety and wellness um, at this moment in time? Yes. Um, so 2020 and 2021 have uh, been quite challenging for everybody, um, for police, for a number of reasons. Um, there's, we can start with the national narrative, um, which is very critical of police right now. And that's resulting in retention issues because there's low morale recruitment issues because there's low public respect for police um, and burnout by those that are there. Uh, And by burnout, I mean, you know, lack of enthusiasm and motivation for the job because they're just weary of it all. Um, Mm -hmm. They're dealing with civil unrest and protests where people are protesting them, yelling at them. Um, And in addition to that, you know, during the pandemic, many of us got to work from home, but they're first responders. So they're working and being exposed potentially before um, vaccinations, of course, they're being exposed to COVID-19 and then they're concerned about bringing that home to their family members or they have ill family members and they're trying to take care of them and put their job on hold in quarantine or they have childcare issues because as we know, the schools were closed and Mm -hmm. preschools and all of that. Um, On top of that, you have lack of support in some cities from the mayors and the city managers. Um, And so they're feeling like they're not, they're not supported anywhere, right? The community's not supporting them. Their city government may not be supporting them. Sometimes they feel like the chief executive isn't supporting them because they're trying to be political and they have sickness issues on top of that. So it's just right now it's, it's especially hard for them because this is on top of, the normal, typical trauma that a police officer sees, which is um, a lot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I think people don't really think about it. They, you know, you call the police for many reasons, like you think somebody's breaking into your house or somebody stole your bike or something like that. What you don't realize is that that police officer may be coming from another call where, you know, there was a a crib death or a suicide or, you know, any number of traumatic things, an accident. And, and they're seeing, they're seeing people at their worst most of the time. And there is a cumulative impact on their physical and mental well-being because if they're not addressing the trauma through counseling, then what can happen is, you know, they overeat or they start drinking to, to numb the pain or, 
you know, they cheat on their spouses and partners because they need an outlet and then that ruins their marriage. I mean, it just can be a, a, a downhill spiral if we don't offer them resources and encourage them to use them. Yeah. And I think, you know what, I think that's something that um, most people can relate to when it comes to people who work in emergency response of various types and um, whether, you know, those of us who are health and safety um, professionals who have ever dealt with a workplace death or a serious Mm -hmm. injury, that's Mm -hmm. a traumatic event. Many people listening have dealt with one or many, um, you know, myself included in the number of deaths and serious injuries I've investigated in, in my time as a health and safety professional tops over 50. Oh, and, wow. and they're all stories that are stored in me and in my psyche. Right. And, mm-hmm. and that's, that's, with, that's with so many people who are working um, front lines in terms of emergency response, whether it's um, police, um, fire, um, rescue workers of any type, um, paramedics, Mm-hmm. Um, they, they experience all of these things and yeah, they're really, they're stored in the body. And so what do they do with that? What do they do with that kind of trauma? Yeah. Understood. Understood. Yeah. Thanks for identifying that. So, of course. um, Jessica, when, so the, the, the work that you're doing at present is, I'm guessing this isn't the work that you're doing isn't something that's widespread throughout the nation. I'm guessing you're not working with every single de- every single department. Right. And you had mentioned something earlier about grant writing <laughs> and, oh, and, yeah. and and a membership um to the yeah. to this organization that you belong to. Like how many how many departments or cities take advantage of the kind of assistance that you can offer? Is it widespread? Is it small? Well, because PERF is so small, um, there's about 25 full-time personnel at PERF, and my team is a team of four, Mm -hmm. and then we add our SMEs. Um, We can't be many places at one time. So we will often, a grant will allow us to, depending on the size of the grant, like our um, homicide investigation grants allowed us to do five agency assessments per three-year period. And our officer safety and wellness grant allowed us to do three agency assessments in a two-year period. But we want then to reach as many agencies as possible who couldn't get the hands-on assistance by capturing like general findings and recommendations in a practitioner guidebook. Mm-hmm. So um, right now I have one that's the result of the three agency assessments I did for officer safety and wellness. I put together this, you know, general findings and, and steps you can take mm-hmm. a, sort of a blueprint for agencies that they can use to get started. Um, it's in, it's with the cops office right now. It should be published any day. Hmm. Uh, and then we have the same, we have one for the homicide investigations already that's been published. Um, so that report will be published any day by the cops office. But um, several years ago, what sort of kicked off our officer safety and wellness project work was I was at a conference and heard a, a speaker talk about 
San Diego's wellness unit, which is not something that, you know, I'd ever heard of before. Mm. Um, and to my knowledge, no other agency has a comprehensive wellness unit that San Diego PD does. Um, I know there's a lot of agencies that now have wellness programs and um, a wellness committee, but this is like a full-time unit where people are assigned to be there 24-7 and offer assistance, all different types of assistance to agency personnel. And I was fascinated by this. Like, how was this developed? Who is chosen to be in this unit? Who takes advantage of this resource? And so I drafted um, a proposal to the cops office and they sometimes have discretionary funding where they can, you know, fund a, a proposal that wasn't in their like list of solicitations that they release each year where they have specific scope of work guidelines that you have to apply for. And so this was a discretionary funding item. And I said, you know, I would love to do a case study of this. Mm -hmm. I, I want to go in, I want to look at the, how this was developed and, and document it. And so that was done several years ago and that, and that publication exists on the website right now and I know it's it's widely used because you can just pick and choose different components of it to implement depending on how big your agency is and how the monetary and personnel resources you have so we'll be sure to share that in the show notes and um as as I just want to give a shout out to our listeners right now you know uh the people who do the work of workplace health and safety are in every industry imaginable, including uh, police departments, including sheriff's departments, and they probably have different job titles. But if anyone listening are, is one of those people, know that we have these, re these are resources that uh, Jessica is talking about is accessible, obviously. But for anyone else who's listening is like, I have a friend who does that, and they might not know about it. Please pass that information on. Um, you know, knowledge is power, right? And you're just saying that you identified one place that has this wellness program. That's fantastic. And you've done a report on it. Yeah, it's super interesting. I'm I'm constantly impressed by the people that I find in this field and the innovative things that they're doing. It's Mm -hmm. I, I admire their work greatly. Mm -hmm. So you go through this process with your with your team and with the entity that you're working with, and then there are things to implement. How does yes. how does that yeah talk about how does that work, and what have you seen as a result of that once implemented? Yeah. So. Um, yeah, that's the next steps, right? So I give them this this assessment. I'm like, here's what you need to do. And here's a spreadsheet so you can track all your work. And mm. and I, I don't just then leave them high and dry. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I say, okay, here are some great policies for peer counseling. Here are some trainings I've identified that are free and accessible. You know, here are hotlines that you should advertise. Here's an example of a newsletter that this agency does and sends out and, and like, here's the format for it. So you don't have to recreate the wheel. And so I really try to, I have this repository of resources that I try and share. And I, and I have all different sorts of policies um, that I will provide to any agency that requests it. Um, and these are usually identified by the practitioners in the field at these conferences uh, that have studied 
these policies and, and identify why they're best practices. And so um, I don't just it's not just I think they're great, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. even though I do. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, and so for example, um, I'll recommend as a as a first step, you need to survey your audience. You need to survey your personnel. Find out what resources do they want to see. Um, and so you don't have to create that. I have copies of surveys that other agencies have done, and I'll get that and provide it to the agency for them. So, you know, I I I want to make sure that it's not a heavy lift when I leave that they have the tools they need to implement the resources I recommend. So, you know, there's financial wellness trainings out there. There's funding resources. If I, you know, they don't have an in-house psychologist, but they think that that's something that they want to implement. So I give them resources for, you know, here are certain grants you can apply for. Here's some private organizations I know have funded similar things. Um, Yeah. So yeah, I, I offer that too. Yeah. And so, you know, you're talking about all these policies and gosh, we know in the work of health and safety, there's piles of policies and SOPs and um, different procedures. And same is true. Same is true in this line of work. And in the introduction, I was talking about um, what your work does, what the organization does, and it includes developing community policing um, and problem solving Um uh, policies. And so in some of the policy development, procedure development, are do some of those include things outside of a particular agency and involve like community members or stakeholders? Or how does that work? Yeah. So for example, the uh, I'll go back to the homicide investigations. Witness cooperation is a big component of whether or not um, a case will be solved. Mm-hmm. So what we talk to community members when we're there, when we're doing the site visit. And as I said, we talked to everybody who's tangentially involved in an investigation to find out where the breakdowns are in communication and collaboration and strengthen those areas. And so we'll interview community members and we try and identify those that have spoken out against the police. We'll look through news stories and we'll see, okay, well, this organization has criticized this agency. So let's meet with them. What are the, you know, what are their issues? Um, And then we'll, we'll Mm -hmm. put together recommendations for how they should conduct outreach and rebuild those broken relationships. Yeah. So it's not an echo chamber. Right. Yeah. Great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Fabulous. Fabulous. So um, do you want to talk about some of the um, promising programs, you know, that you've identified or, and I don't know if you want to call it a success story or is there anything you'd like to um, lift up, um, in addition to San Diego, it sounds like. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they they definitely were the trendsetters, but Mm -hmm. I think a lot of agencies have jumped on this bandwagon and they've realized how important it is to include these safety and wellness components in their agencies. And I've seen a lot of neat things. What works best I've found is when the executive in charge is the one leading the charge and exhibiting vulnerability. Mm. So this person is getting up in front of the troops and saying, it's okay to not be okay. And here's when that happened to me. 
and mm. sharing very personal stories mm-hmm. um, because, you know, the stereotype is this big burly dude SWAT team member and nothing gets you know Mm -hmm. bothers them it gets past them and then somebody like that stands in front of the crowd and says you know one night I came home from work and I laid down next to my my baby's crib and cried like a baby because I was coming from a call with a dead baby and they walk you through their own trauma and how they got help. And that's really inspiring to certain people for other people. It allows them to feel those feelings and admit to those feelings. And and they realize that nobody's going to look down on them for that. And they don't have to be so macho. Um, Mm -hmm. Just, it gets rid of that stigma Mm -hmm. and, yeah. A pr- yeah. Prime example of leaders leading and, and, um, it's how it's the birthplace of culture, safety, culture, wellness, yes. culture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Peer supporters for those who have been involved in an officer involved shooting. And those peer supporters must have been through the process themselves because there's very specific practices that happen when that happens. And there's also very, they know the very specific needs of the person and the trauma that they're enduring at that moment. And so I thought that that was really good because, you know, a lot of people say they don't go to EAP and they don't use those resources or just, you know, go um, see a psychologist through their insurance because those counselors don't fully understand what they've been through. And that's really important. Um, that whoever is providing mm-hmm. the counseling and assistance understands the viewpoint of the person that they're talking to. Jessica, really appreciate what you're sharing today. Um, is there, are there any other resources you'd like to talk about places to direct people or, um, you know, some, some thoughts that you have? Um, well, I welcome anybody to look at the perf website because it's, um, I'm sure it'll be in your notes, but yes. it is all the publications are free. So you can go to the free resources page and see all the publications. And there's, there's several publications on officer safety and wellness, as well as a number of other topics that they're interested in. And, and the, the meetings that I referred to earlier between mm-hmm. the unions and the police executives about some safety issues, those were captured in publications as well. There's two of those on there if anybody's interested in reading more about those. Um, but you can see we really address the spectrum of, of issues. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you. You know, you said when, um, when you, were, you were thinking about what you wanted to tackle um, as a college student, you're thinking about your career, you wanted to affect change. Mm-hmm. Um, has that happened for you? Is it still happening? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I I do feel like I have made a difference. Um, I mean, I wouldn't do this if I didn't feel that way. Mm. Uh, I'm very much motivated by seeing the results and feeling like my work makes a difference. Mm. And what is more important than that? to feel that your work makes a difference. Fantastic. Jessica, thank you so much for coming on the show and for the work that you're doing and the work of all of your colleagues um, at Perf. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. It was great to speak with you. 
Great to have you on. And thank you all for spending your time listening today. And more importantly, thank you for your contribution toward the common good, making sure your workers, including your temporary workers, make it home safe every day. If you aren't subscribed and want to hear past and future episodes, you can subscribe in iTunes, the Apple Podcast app, or any other podcast player that you'd like. We'd love it if you could leave a rating and review us on iTunes. It really helps us connect the show with more and more safety and health professionals. Special thanks to Naeem Jaraisi, our podcast producer. And until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>